Hey everyone, welcome to the PC Perspective Podcast. This is episode 565 being recorded Wednesday, November 20th, 2019. I'm Jim Tannis. I'm Jeremy Hellstrom. I'm Josh Walrus. I'm Sebastian Peake. And we're glad you could join us. Uh, if you if you don't know, we record these live and we stream them out on YouTube Wednesday nights at generally Wednesday nights at 10 p.m. Eastern. And you can join us there uh, to watch those at pcpro.com slash live, where we have the embedded YouTube stream and IRC and YouTube chat. Uh, so we'd love to have you there. Or you can uh, always catch them on demand uh, at uh, pcpro.com slash podcast, where we'll have the show notes and timestamps and all that good stuff. Uh, a couple things I want to point out just as we start the show here. Uh, last week, I was kind of behind the scenes and uh, wasn't wasn't feeling well and wasn't paying attention. And we, we actually got a, a, Patreon, a Patreon contribution. So I just wanted to call that out this week. Uh, Rushi Patel uh, became a, a new patron. And so thank you so much for that. That was great. And of course, you can uh, uh, join there as well at patreon.com slash PC per every penny there goes directly to helping run the site. And we really appreciate it. And of course, uh, he just gave his name. But if you'd like to uh, have us say something crazy and funny or insulting or whatever, uh, just uh, change your name at Patreon before of your account before you submit it, and I'll get a notification and I'll I'll read whatever you uh, you say there uh, as long as it won't get me arrested. I think that's the only condition I have. Well, I mean, at this point, actually, if I get arrested, I'll get free yeah. health care. Yeah. Hey. So, okay. Hey. Bring it on. All right. Epstein didn't kill himself. Anyway. Moving on to <laughs> <laughs> moving on to the uh, to the uh, the other how, housekeeping how, issue. How is there an Epstein reference on this podcast of all things? Why not? Why not? Coming it, from it, you, I would expect it maybe from Josh. But you? Well, I think uh, I think we can all agree on that statement, or we should be able to agree on that statement, regardless of your political persuasion. <sighs> but uh, <laughs> anyway, uh, moving on to uh, the other housekeeping issue is we we've uh, want to bring up bring back the mailbag, the pcpro.com. Uh, mailbag that Frickin we, we used to do. M-A-L-E. Yes, however you'd like to, yeah, to spell or picture Tech it. M-A-L-E, mailbag. Right. Yes. And, uh, and so uh, we've solicited uh, questions through our Discord. Uh, you can send us an email. I've also set up a Reddit thread at the abandoned PC per subreddit that I didn't even know we had, that I had to wrestle away from Ryan's old account that he hadn't used in a year. Um, so... We've got uh, at, at at this subreddit at uh, PC, I'm sorry, reddit.com uh, slash r slash PC per. There's a thread there where you can ask uh, questions and uh, we'll we'll try to answer them there. I mean, you can do it there. You can send us an email. We're just trying to provide different ways for you to get the questions in. And then uh, all we ask is if you have a particular person in mind that you'd like to answer the question, just let us know and We'll we'll record pick someone else segments and 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 find that you know find the person to to answer your questions. So get that in, and as soon as we have enough uh, questions, we'll have a new video up for you. Uh, all right, and then the the final bit of uh, housekeeping is just uh, you know for our own liability purposes, we need to make sure Josh is okay before we continue this podcast uh, because he consumed this today. And if you're on the audio version, this is a. His weekly burger was a a burger with a fried egg with two glazed donuts as the bun. So I just need is that to add a burger in there. Is that a, what is cheese. that? What? What is the meat? Is that a steak? Two patties. Is that... No, it's just okay. two two burgers. It's uh, local uh, sourced uh, beef that are ground up daily, fresh. Two patties, onions, 
some other sauces in there and and two full glazed donuts as the buns. Brief. They're not messing uh, around. So I'm That's not, not even eating for the next cut in half. That's two complete donuts. Yes. Yeah. Exactly. Two burger patties and a fried egg and cheese. It's yes. a little dense. All vegetables on the side. Did, did you eat any of the vegetables? Yeah, I, I did, did because you've got to. Uh, yeah, no, but it was it was pretty fantastic. I had to eat it with a uh, fork and a knife because the, the 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 glazed donuts were just disintegrating. So you did like it was the still... uh, George Costanza thing at your table. Yeah, it was still fantastic. Josh, let's talk about this. Uh, do you often eat burgers with a fork and a knife? No, rarely. Okay, all right. Only when they get extremely messy, like this one got to quickly. But you're feeling okay, though. No chest pain. So far, I had a salad with it. So, oh, well, that, oh, okay. That, that that's, it. Yeah, they cancel each other out. Balance out. <laughs> exactly. Yes. Yeah. Awesome. And what is there a restaurant you want to plug in the Laramie area for this? Uh, this sure. It's, it's, it's called Born in the Barn. <laughs> they have weekly specials, they've got the best smoked chicken wings that i've ever tasted it's it's an all-in-one place it's great but by, by the way in our, in our youtube chat david wilson says just an audience note no one was able to find the rapper after josh <laughs> uh, can you confirm or deny that the rapper may have been ingested along with the burger well i cut it apart quite a bit when i was okay up, all right so yeah i mean it looked like wax paper of some kind so it's yeah. probably safe yeah. all right well if you, so I guess if you're in the Laramie, Wyoming area, born in a barn, jo- uh, you've heard it here. Josh will buy you a burger. Yeah. Yeah. You, so, pro- you provide your credit card. Josh will pay. Yes. For the yes. Dinner. Yes. <laughs> All right. Well, let's you jump will into take me out to dinner. Yep. Hey, that's that's a once in a lifetime opportunity. Yeah. You and you should. No, you can do it more than once. I'm sure you'd be fine with that. Too. No, you, uh, you won't survive. So. Once in a lifetime. Yeah, my, my so far I'm gonna like live till fifty six if I'm lucky, if I keep eating like this. Hey, everybody's gotta have goals, Josh. Mm-hmm. Yeah, fifty six. I mean, I mean it's, could... it's ambitious. I think it can be done. I think with our national health care system, it's only uh, nine years from now. Really? I, I would have mm-hmm. put you at a like thirty nine, Josh. No, you're like thirty seven, right? Yeah, I'll be thirty eight soon. Yeah. Yeah, so and obviously yeah, you need glasses. No. Well, it's the beauty being, of this. You're being that, kind. Josh is on a TV screen really far away. There. A little window. Z- zoom in. Oh, God. All right. No, Josh, you're looking good today. Hang on. I can make it better. <laughs> <laughs> you know, I never noticed that glasses don't have like a the frame all the way around. Now no. I learned that today. No, they're open bottom. Okay, just how I like it. Oh, All right, open. well, let's uh, let's jump into the news this week. Obviously, uh, last week, the, within hours after our show, uh, the thirty nine fifty X, the Ryzen nine thirty nine fifty X reviews launched, and uh, we didn't have anything for you because it was a very very limited supply, or at least that's what we were told. And and it turns out, I mean, that's that's true. A lot of sites didn't have anything. A lot of a surprising number of even large YouTube channels didn't get samples uh, like Jay's two cents. Um, and so I, there was just not enough to go around and we didn't get one, uh, unfortunately. So we don't have a review, a review for you. 
Uh, but we can uh, uh, kind of uh, piggyback off some of the sites that did get their samples, and uh, we can so let me, talk about this. Yep. Let me stop you right there. <clears throat> Do you perchance feel that with such limited review samples, this is going to be a very limited release? Probably. I have I have thoughts about that. <laughs> <laughs> I, I'm not, it, and I was talking in the chat earlier, the, the RPC per public chat, but I'm like, it's maybe it's sour grapes, and that's a possibility. I'm not going to deny it. I'm human. I didn't get a sample. I was disappointed slash furious for about 24 hours or, mo or more. And ultimately, though, I think that while outside of Micro Center, and I was checking Micro Center today, and if I were to drive all the way from Kalamazoo to Detroit, I could buy a 3900X right now for $499. But uh, it's still not widespread like availability as you would expect from any of the previous Ryzen launches. After the dust settled, I can still buy a 2700X. Of course, it's been way marked down. But you know, it's 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 a very different thing if you're after the latest and greatest. You have to kind of pick and choose which model you're willing to settle for, unless you're willing to pay above MSRP. A 3900. I'm not I'm not making a very clear. Uh, point here, but what I'm trying to say is to buy a 3900X at MSRP outside of a place like Micro Center is not easy to do. Online, it's typically marked up. Today, it was $559 on Amazon for the cheapest one, and that was a third-party reseller. So uh, the 3950X is essentially the same chip. It has all 16 cores enabled, and they clocked it higher it has higher boost clocks and from the early reviews and we'll talk about them they're hitting their boost clocks in fact they're hitting slightly over their boost clocks i know nate at legit reviews was saying his was at like 4.75 gigahertz single core boost so and they're advertising 4.7 the 3900x is only a, a 4.6 gigahertz single core boost part so they were extremely aggressive with this they were targeting faster clocks while having all cores enabled and they actually still hit the TDP target and actually a little bit better as far as power consumption goes in the early reviews that we've seen. So it's, it's the, like the super, super highly binned part that I can't imagine this will be a widespread release. It's like the, it, the 3900X was unobtainium for a while. This is going to be rare, unless I'm very much mistaken. I can't imagine a whole hell of a lot of these being produced. I didn't know that Jay's Two Cents did not get one, and he's one of the bigger PC enthusiast YouTube channels. So that's makes me feel a little bit better. But yeah, I mean, I think everybody got the, the same reviewer kit that I got for the last Ryzen 3000 launch, the 7.7 launch, which they sent out multiple motherboards, multiple processors. They sent out RAM to make sure everybody had fast RAM to run with their systems. So this is this they have to have some manufacturing challenges if it was like picking and choosing off the list where they were even going to send samples to. I think yeah. and it was I mean the, the processor was always has already been delayed obviously. It was originally supposed to launch in September. They announced that it would push it to November alongside Threadripper 3. And so I mean, yes, there, there's been it, it unless they 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 needed to get the reviews out early and they're stockpiling supply so that they can have some 
semblance of a large launch. Yeah, I think it's it's probably going to be hard to find one. And as Josh has said too, the way that they're doing this, if they can if they can allocate some of those chiplets to Epic and make a lot more money, why wouldn't they? That's exactly what they're doing. And if you look at AMD's share price right now, they just surpassed 41 bucks. Yeah. Three years ago, they were under three dollars. No, four years ago. Yeah, yeah, three to four years ago. They are under there is like two dollars and forty-nine cents a share. And now they're above forty-one bucks. You can do the math. That's some serious, serious money that has been made. And the reason for that is not their desktop stuff. Yeah, it's part of it. But a big part of the optimism for AMD and and their financial security is the long-term enterprise-type applications, data center, um, web serving. I mean, everything in there that, that Epic seems to do pretty well at, and it does it at lower TDPs, more threads. And a lot of the uh, the Intel things, I mean, we can talk performance all day long. There are advantages and disadvantages to both. But AMD is is building up quite a uh, quite a pretty good consumer base in that area. I mean, they're they're still under ten percent in in the overall. I mean, but you know, Intel just today announced that yeah, we're we're behind the ball in terms of being able to supply as many processors as we can, but we're working on it. And in the meantime, AMD's got an arguably superior product in terms of overall performance and power and flexibility than what Intel has at much lower prices. And so they're getting rewarded by their share price going up pretty dramatically and 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 they're getting new partners and and partners like dell are starting to put their products up on a pedestal where they hadn't been since opteron days in fact i I can't even remember if dell even had any opteron products they stayed with and then they just then they just skipped over to the core two stuff and and you know and and but now you know we've got you know, uh, Dell marketing guys coming to us and saying, hey, we, we really want to even just, you know, get on a video with you guys and talk about these products. And I've got to get back to that guy and actually get it done before the end of this year. But AMD's making some serious strides. And yeah, if they decided to say, you know, screw Epic and, and let's just focus on the desktop, then sure, we could have as many 3950s as we want at that price point. But that's not the case because those chiplets are going to the very, very high margin. The stuff where if AMD can make some inroads, then they have kind of a golden pathway into the next several years because they're going to be providing all of their partners with with chips. And and their uh, their aggression in terms of execution and what they're doing, uh, it's pretty high. Uh, because Zen 3, all the rumors that are coming out that it's going to be a new architecture as compared to Zen 2, and it's going to have improved IPC and improved power, and it's going to be a much more dense, and it's going to use the latest generation of 7 nanometer plus um, with with EUV, and my light is flickering badly. Stop it, light. <laughs> it's very Just exciting. 
Damn Intel yeah, powered sure. lights. Yeah, someone's pissed. <laughs> but uh yeah, I don't think we're going to see very many of the 3950Xs. Uh they're going to be rare as hen's teeth. Uh there's going to be some out there uh on launch day. They're going to be get gobbled up very very quickly. Yeah, it's 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 going to be interesting to see what they do. I mean, maybe in the spring there's going to be a bunch more 3950Xs that you can actually buy for around MSRP, but then we're starting to look at the Zen 3 launch. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it's there. I mean, they, they've got that Halo product. They're haloing the hell out of it, and it looks good, and all the results are pretty spectacular for it, and the price is really good as compared to what Intel offers. But yeah, we're not going to see many of these. Yeah, and uh, I mean, and and you know, to clarify too, AMD told us, and I presume they told the other sites and other outlets who aren't getting them that they will send us one. Like they have said, we will get you one as soon as we can. So we're, we'll just have to to see what the timing is on that. And of course, all of our staff here has a standing order as we approach retail launch that if they find one, buy one. We're we're, we're going to get one in one way or the other so that we can we can uh, run it through our own set of tests. But we may be. We may be fighting in line. I may be on the local news fighting with people outside of our Sharonville Micro Center. But uh, let's take a look at the performance of this chip, uh, regardless of when we may actually be able to to buy it. And uh, so, as we said, a couple of sites did did get one. Uh, Sebastian mentioned legit reviews. So let's take a look over there and what Nate found. And uh, the the consensus amongst every site we looked at, every YouTuber who reviewed it, is pretty much the same. Uh, as Sebastian indicated, this thing, it's it's the most cores, and even with the most cores, it's the best clocks for most applications. And you compare it to what Intel has at, at their desktop, their mainstream desktop, which right now caps at the 9900KS, and in, in workloads that can take advantage of those additional cores and threads, it does very well. So here we're looking at Blender, and uh, this, again, this is the legit reviews, legitreviews.com review. We'll have a link to all of these in our show notes. Uh, we've got the uh, 3950X coming in, and, and this with Blender, it's time, so lower is better. It's significantly uh, better than the 9900 Chaos. Of course, having double the core and thread count, you're not surprised there. Uh, here's Keyshot, higher is better, and again, look at the difference there. Now, 9900 Chaos is cheaper than the 3950X at, at retail, but again, you're you're looking at what Intel has at, at that mainstream desktop category and we'd have to look at cascade like x their hdt components there to match the core counts or get close to the core counts but then of course then you also have third over three coming in on top of that so it's a it's a pretty uh exciting market there's a lot of choice at these these price points um let's see uh are there any any reviews or any uh tests that you guys want to call out that you thought were particularly interesting did did you find it interesting that a lot of these uh reviews well, maybe not, you know, Nate's, but they really focused on gaming a lot. Um, well, I I did see that uh, that was a big focus, uh, particularly amongst the YouTubers, which for their audience is generally gaming. And the, I guess my response to that would be when Lisa Sue announced this in July, she called it the world's first 16 core gaming processor. So they are right. It was pushing it, was it for gaming. That was the yeah. tagline. The first 16 core processor for gaming. Because of course they weren't the first of 16 cores. 
Mm-hmm. And this, they're bringing that to desktop. And of course, there's there's been higher core counts than this on high end desktop. If you, because of course that's a separate category, just because of the the price, like stratification or whatever that is. But well, and that's yeah, the I mean, the the issue or the thing you have to keep in mind as you look at this is this is great for workloads, whether it's gaming or video production, where you need cores and frequencies more than you need PCIe mm-hmm. lanes. Because those are the two big factors when you're considering spending a lot on a processor. You want the, the computing horsepower and or the PCIe lanes for multiple graphics cards or tons of storage or whatever, uh, or you know capture cards, things like that. So you're looking at these two factors. The 3950X, although it, it brings it up to the HEDT level on cores and raw com- computational performance, doesn't have additional PCIe lanes. You're still stuck at, what is it? It's uh, 12 available lanes? What's the what's the 3950X after you take away the... Like 20. Uh, is it was 20, 20 minus... No, 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 it's 24. Okay, it's 24 yeah. minus 4. Yeah, so you get so 20. 20. Yeah, oh, so I'm it's sorry, 20. 20. Yeah. So you get 4 with uh, the what goes direct to the first NVMe and then 16 to the graphics, and then the 4 to the chipset. Okay. Yeah, so, but, you, but, but you don't have a lot of wiggle room there. And now, for, for a gaming system, that's fine. For a, a basic workstation, that's fine. But if you want multiple graphics cards running at high... Yeah, PCIe, but it attaches to the X570, which has another 20 PCIe lanes. Well, but as, 4.0. as Alan taught me, those don't count. Um, that's that's bullshit. <laughs> yes, I see. They're, they're fake lanes. Yes. But the, the, yeah. the point is there's, there is less flexibility for that. So in that case, you look at, well, Threadripper, or, which has PCIe lanes out the wazoo, or, uh, or on the Intel side at their HEDT platform, which has, I think, up to 72 now with Cascade Lake X. So keep that in mind. The, the, we're, we're seeing the merging of different needs, and, and some people may need one or the other, and some people may need both. And so just, just uh, keep that in mind. But if you are like a video editor and you're using one graphics card and you don't have like a load of capture cards you need to load up or something, this is going to be a, a real compelling system. Yeah, but, uh, Kit Guru actually put in uh, the i9-9980XE into their yeah. benchmarks. And so th- this is the amazing thing about the, the, the new 3950X is it's matching the performance of that and coming damn close to matching the performance of the i9-9900K for gaming. Like it's, it's doing both. And, you know, at least in the case of the HEDT from Intel, half the friggin' price. Yeah, and and that's uh, that's key there. So here's here's the Kit Guru uh, uh, reviews, and so they've got that 9980XE, which is about to be replaced by the Cascade Lake X. Fair, but but they're about you know they're the same architecture, the same basic architecture. We expect yeah. slight IPC pr- uh, improvement on the Cascade Lake uh, part, but this is a pretty good stand-in for what to expect there. And as Jeremy said, looking at you know seven zip here, where the 3950X uh, outperforms it by a noticeable uh, margin. Uh, let's see, where's some other tests here? Handbrake conversion. Okay, here are the 9980XE yeah. does Occasionally do it'll scrape past. Yeah, but again, that 9980XE was a $2,000 part at launch. Yeah. Now, there, <laughs> now it, its successor, as we've talked about, its successor is gonna come down to about $1,000 for that same uh, core, uh, or that same uh, uh, product category, 18 core uh, top end, yeah. but still. Yeah, same configuration and. Yeah. Although you know, I'm, I'm also noticing in these charts that there's a lot of OC results, like overclock results with that, because I yeah, he did do an OC on everything. Yeah, yeah. So 
that's uh, that's the big thing about the new Cascade Lake Hexes. Uh, you know, higher clocks out of the box. So that should help mitigate some of the you know limited gains you're going to have from IPC because it's the same architecture. So it's just. Mm-hmm. Yep. And of course, other... on the Intel side, they're going to argue, well, we have memory latency advantages, and there are certain applications and benchmarks that are going to show that better. Yeah. And they don't well, really I mean, like those Ryzen... benchmarks that are just general multi-core, like, you know, AMD, obviously not huge fans of Cinebench, for example, because mm-hmm. AMD dominates there. No. And one other thing to add to that sort of, uh, you know, basic balancing cores versus lanes and all that is also memory. Uh, in, in addition to what Intel has, as, as they like to advertise as an inherent latency advantage when you look at the platforms uh ryzen as a platform is a dual channel platform intel's hedt platform and threadripper are quad so you're obviously going to have that as a factor too but again Uh, only if your only if your workload is going to take advantage of that additional memory bandwidth so uh you know a lot of charts i don't want to you know go through every uh every can we add add one more can we add one more no I threw in the Tom's link just so, just to show the they did an uh, ADA stress test. They have a power consumption chart there, kind of halfway down the page. I found it very interesting that even with Precision Boost Overdrive enabled, the thirty nine fifty X was still consuming less power in their testing than the thirty nine hundred X. Wow! It's yeah. just it's. It's clear if you look at just without PBO, they're the same 145 watts. And with PBO, the 3950X is consuming less power than that's, their 3900. That's some serious binning. Yeah. yeah, that's craziness. And I saw this from multiple outlets. I was looking at their power consumption charts and, like, yeah, that was one of the things I was most curious about myself when I was preparing to test this. And that, to me, is indicative of how rare this may end up being. And sure, there might be parts. These could be golden samples. Who knows? Maybe that's why it was so limited. But when these actually... I, I think every 3950X that will be sold is a golden sample. Well, It's yeah. going to be what the best could there be a golden, IO chip, best binning chiplets, and only like... Now, I'm just saying this. But only like 10,000 made in total. That would not shock me. Hey, they'll have they'll have these reviews for all time. They'll have their their wins on the charts, even they if won't. you can't actually buy one. Yeah, and as I think it was you, Josh, who said that uh, maybe maybe supply does eventually catch up, but by then you're already looking ahead to Zen Four. So uh, three. I mean, it, 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 oh, sorry, Zen Three. Yes, excuse me, yeah. Ryzen Four Thousand slash Zen Three. Um, can't right, wait so, for Ryzen Forty Thousand. Uh, so if, if you, uh, if you're interested, I'm sure, you know, if you're really interested in this stuff, you've probably already seen these reviews. If not, we'll have links to the sites that have review samples in the show notes. So feel free to check those out. And uh, as I said, as soon as we get our hands on one, we'll, we'll run it through our test, uh, and we'll see, uh, see how it compares, uh, by then. And, and, uh, if you have any additional questions, if you have stuff you want, if you look at the, the field of reviews and there's somebody out there who hasn't tested something, let us know, cause we'll be doing our own testing eventually. And so maybe we can address yeah. those as well. So, so, uh, so Jeremy, were you going for the Ryzen 40,000 in that, you know, as soon as you go top speed, 30% of the cores go insane and start and killing no, each other? Intel finally moving on to the fifth digit. They are. Oh, oh gosh. Yeah, I thought this is Warhammer 10,900. 
thing that <laughs> you were so you're impressive, going off though. with. So Jeremy, uh, uh, so we've got we've got Comet Lake for desktop, right? That's what we're we're seeing here with the ten thousand coming to desktop. I do like Comet Lake effect event. <laughs> Clever. Clever. I was looking for something commentary, and well, I mean that's stretching it a bit, but I liked it. So yeah, we now know that uh, what that these things are going to look like. Uh, Coffee Lake S. Or Comet Lake S, sorry, because good God, we have enough lakes going on. And so we got a nice list of what we're going to see here. Uh, the big thing is that you're, you're going to see, uh, as you'd expect, a, a K version, a T version, and also one that just dropped its last name and only has, you know, the, the model number. For the vast majority, all you're looking at is the difference uh, in the TDP. If uh, the Ks being a little more power hungry uh, to the point where they don't really say what they're going to be, but 80 is what I've been hearing on a couple of other sites that uh, saw a different list. But how would you feel about 10 cores, 20 threads, running round about 5.1 gigahertz boost uh, on a 14 nanometer plus, 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 plus platform? I'm not sure how many pluses we're at now, but it, it's it, a few. They're going to leave need to leave extra room on the box for all the extra pluses. Yes, well, along with the model number. And yeah, well, one of the nice things <laughs> is that uh, even the, the people who's shopping at the bottom end for the Core i3s, uh, like the 10,100, is going to be uh, dual-threaded. So you're going to have four cores, eight threads, which is pretty nice. And it's ranging between 3.2 gigahertz to 3.8. is not too shabby for what's going to be a fairly inexpensive uh, processor. The, uh, trying to think what else we sort of got, like, this is pretty much all off of this one particular table that was leaked out. So, you know, we know only a little bit of it. Uh, the TDPs are about what you'd expect. Uh, the T they mentioned the, the lower end, uh, and mobile is going to have a 35 watt TDP. We don't know if it's going to be adaptable, like we saw in the previous generation where you could jump between 25 to 35 watts, depending on what you wanted to do. Uh, but again, we'll see. And Celerons are, are still around. These guys are not going to be multi-threaded. Sorry, guys. Uh, and for the most part, they don't have a boost either. Uh, what you see is what you get as far as they go. Is there anything that actually like really stood out to anyone in this? Well, I mean, it's, it's this, and we shouldn't be surprised because again, we, you know, Intel cannot just change its entire strategy. This, this stuff yeah. has all been in the works for years. And so they're, they're trying to respond with things that they can control, like pricing, as we saw with Cascade Lake X. But with their desktop stuff, this is going to be a very similar part to what we have now with the 9900K, but they're bringing uh, uh, core counts up across the line, all the way, as Jeremy said, all the way up and down. You're, you're going to see uh, either more cores uh, or hyper-threading where there wasn't uh, previously and so yeah. you know, that's and that's good because Intel still has very good IPC, and it's all going to come down to what they price it at, and uh, and assuming there's a limit here to how much they can cram into this existing architecture and this existing uh, uh, size, uh, you know, as long as the performance holds up, that's the thing we'll have to test. But it's going to be a very incremental upgrade going forward with Intel for for Comet Lake uh, desktop. Yeah. But the prices is, will be the big one, I guess. 
Yeah. And we think, you know, it's interesting. We'll see. We, they seem to have got that message with, with how aggressive they were in HEDT. Well, of course, they had to be aggressive. That was, it, it, it was a huge uh, uh, issue for them comparing that product lineup to what AMD was bringing out. So, so you know, we'll see how that goes uh, going forward. Now, the question is, uh, will you be able to buy one? We talked about not being able to find a 3950X. Well, we've known for uh, over a year, at least now, right, where that Intel's been having supply issues. Not necessarily, I mean, to a degree, yes, as you as a consumer going to Micro Center or Fry's or something and picking up a processor, but more importantly to their to their vendors, their partners, the people yeah. building the systems, there's been supply issues. And a very surprising development today, or at least dated today, was this letter uh, that they publicly posted. It's a PDF over at Intel's newsroom. We'll have a link to it in our show notes. And it's a letter from their uh, uh, ex uh, executive vice president of sales and marketing, uh, Michelle Johnson uh, Holthaus. Is that how it's pronounced? Holthaus? Holthaus? Holthaus, whatever. partners. Scroll up. Dear to it, dear customers and partners, we're sorry to announce that we cannot fulfill your orders in a generally acceptable manner throughout the rest of the year. So, as a condolence, we are going to raise prices. Uh, well, that's not what, necessarily what they say. But, <laughs> but that's, a, the, that's an actual quote. Is that they're going to raise prices? No. Remember, oh, okay. remember, like, Jim, they're lowering prices. Oh, okay. So I haven't seen I can't. that yet. We're lowering prices, lowering but prices. increasing demand. Gotcha. gotcha. I think it's funny. Now, now that, by the way, now that ninth gen, like we talked about this, what, two months ago? Or ninth gen was getting price cuts. And I was excited about, hey, like parts like that 9400 will be cheaper. And then they went up. And now we're finding out there may be some 10th gen, 14 nanometer stuff coming. So I guess it kind of makes sense that the ninth gen stuff would be cheaper but what's availability going to be like because they can't they can't make enough 14 nanometer stuff as it is and they're just going to be adding you would not believe things. how cheap this chip is you can't buy it but it's yeah. so cheap oh, yeah. you, paper, just, you can't live I mean, without this price you can't have it but look at these list prices they're are outstanding i mean you, you know I, I can sell you this you know we're so competitive with AMD. Look at our MSRP. Even though the secondary market is three times that amount, if you want to yeah. get it within a week. Yeah. So uh, this is this is just unusual. I mean, the, the situation has been known uh, that they've talked can I, about. Can I, it. can I do Tom Jones? It's not unusual. Go ahead. No, I'm not going to do it because it would be <laughs> horrifying. But <laughs> okay. yes. All right. Um, but, uh, but just to, to see this letter at the timing of it, I mean, like I said, we were talking about this when the 9900K launched last October and talking about shortages and, and you guys, uh, Jeremy and Josh being in the, you know, being in a, in a position where you, you have computers coming into your organization and servers and talking to suppliers, you know, this is, this is an open, it's not an open secret, to, so to speak, but it's just, it's just known they've had supply issues because 10th, 10th, nan or, sorry, 10 nanometer did not ramp up uh, and, and get into the market as fast as they could. And then did the demand for 14 stayed high and they couldn't accommodate it. Uh, yeah, it's, it's, it's like that, that story I had of my boss who went to the Dell conference and people were asking, it's like, what is the lead time of these Xeons in this, you know, in this price range? And they're like, you know, it's going to be a couple of months, but would you be interested in looking at the AMD Epic? Yeah. And that's I mean, good Dell. for AMD. 
Well, Dell, yeah, Dell, Dell like you don't hear that from Dell until yeah. now. Very recent. No, no. <laughs> they've they've got to they've got to sell their parts. They've got to sell their systems. They do. Um, but uh, for for you know for, from from Intel's perspective, uh, what they say in this letter is they acknowledge the problem. They've talked about trying to uh, to ramp up, but they they acknowledge that they have limited inventory buffers, and uh, and so we'll we'll see that the, the the timing of this letter is is. It's just surprising because I guess it means it's not going to get better anytime soon. Um, so we'll see how we'll see how things go with Intel. Uh, they just had their financial results and they did very well. Uh, you know, there there was record-setting revenue, so uh, they're selling everything they can make, and and to a certain extent, that's a good problem for a company to have. Except if it goes on too long, as Josh said, their partners may get their customers hooked on Team Red mm-hmm. instead for the next year at least before mm. they do a model tree fresh. It's not like these companies buy new systems every year. So if if these companies are like, you know what, I'm going to go with AMD, it might be three years. It might be longer. Ten. You know, yeah. originally, when, when we were looking at Zen 2 launch and what AMD was going to do with Epic, with Rome, I thought, you know, AMD's got about a six-month window where they really have to execute They've really got to, you know, get their product in there to be able to, because, you know, six months after that, Intel's going to have their stuff and they're going to compete and they're going to outproduce. And then more and more news comes out and Charlie's talking about things. And suddenly we see <laughs> 10 nanometer parts that. Are not really performing like you would expect, or hearing about yield issues, and suddenly that six months turns into a year, and now we're looking at a year and a half to two years before Intel is in a position to compete with what AMD has in their 2020-2021 roadmap, and something that AMD is actually executing on versus Intel, which is kind of struggling along get stuff out there and i mean they're, they're still providing 85 percent of the processors out into the world i mean they're not hurting for cash or anything like that but uh my cell phone is really loud but uh they've left a a huge window for amd and AMD's working with its partners and they are at the cutting edge of fabrication technology with tsmc with their EUV seven nanometer plus stuff that's coming out, you know, early next year, they've, you know, the world is their oyster at this moment. And if they can continue to provide TSMC with enough money and enough impetus, along with Apple and all the other partners, because everybody else, I mean, is getting rid of their fabs, IBM. Yeah. Fabulous. Um, now it's just Intel, TSMC, and Samsung are the big ones, and there's a bunch of secondary ones. And TSMC is is going to be very aggressive. But they're not going to be like Intel 10 nanometer aggressive where they throw everything into the mix and it's just a bridge too far to get something that'll work. I mean, it seems like they're being a little bit more conservative and they're kind of testing the waters and they've 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 got this kind of middle point of yeah, we could go a little bit faster, a little bit more denser, but 
we run a lot of risks. So we're going to loosen things up here and we're going to be more conservative on materials. And in the end, they've, they've produced a, a really good seven nanometer process that in many ways outperforms what Intel has at 10 nanometer and is manufacturable. It's, it's available. Scale. Yeah. Yeah. Josh, it's to your, it's to something your point that Intel does not able to do at 10 nanometer. <laughs> to your point about that sort of six month window for AMD. And I've been like the annoying voice who's been talking about Ryzen 3000 and X570 as if it was kind of like a beta. It's like a pre release product. I think starting with the Ajisa like 1003 ABBA, we're probably to like release stage microcode. And now there's 1004 revision B on the way or currently available, depending on your motherboard manufacturer. But don't you think they kind of jumped in? This is, to me, this is where Lisa Sue is earning her pay because they could have waited on this launch. They were extremely aggressive with the release. To have it ready on July 7 to actually have product available to purchase in July when maybe the platform was a little immature, it definitely helped that, that the new CPUs ran on older boards, that they were providing manufacturers with at least that early microcode to get it working on like 400 and 300 series motherboards. But I feel like, and, and obviously a lot of, of what they're able to accomplish was then, and getting back some market share from Intel is going to be on the server side as we've been discussing, but just from my perspective and the desktop side of things, they struck while the iron was hot and it has definitely turned into like where where in enthusiast circles are people getting really really excited about Intel CPUs if they're talking about an upgrade or a new system build? Everything I hear is about Ryzen, and it's people getting excited about AMD in a way they haven't since the Athlon XP era, when it was just a breath of fresh air to have these parts to build your next gaming system when Pentium four was kind of a mess. Like we can suck at four twenty three came out and Rambus memory. I, I ran, uh, I didn't run it myself. It was a friend's parent actually who bought a brand new Dell Pentium four system. And I was over there running with the brand new windows XP operating system on this. And like, what that, this is slower than a Pentium three. What is this? It was astonishingly bad in the early days. And then I went home and built myself an Athlon XP system and it was just night and day. So, man, I had some of that Rambus memory. That was fun. Can can you remember the, the, uh, the memory translation hub Mm -hmm. that gave you SDR, you know, Mm -hmm. SD RAM capability. Yep. Yeah. Yeah, worked so was, well. That was that was good stuff. They paid out some money there yeah. to people because of all the data that got corrupted because Memory Translator Hub was shite. Yeah, but I mean, to, but I to agree your... with you. I mean, you know, AMD took a risk in pushing out Ryzen three thousand before the platform was really mature. I mean, yeah, they had X470 stuff that are run on, but you weren't getting the PCI 4.0. And, you know, there's other internal things with the, the, the Ryzen that, you know, wouldn't boost as high and they had to have a lot better controls and they were dealing with 
you know, motherboards with uh, less amount of firmware that they could support multiple CPUs and all these other issues. Um, but they, they cut that one tight and they cut it close. And I think in the end, it, it, it really did work for them because they, they pushed Intel against the wall in, in terms of desktop. And now we're seeing that kind of cascade into, uh, into enterprise. And it's going to be really interesting to see where AMD and Intel go in the next eight months. Because, you know, Intel is, is, is they're limited with their production mm-hmm. with 14 nanometer. I mean, they're improving that, but I mean, 10 nanometer is, is, is really for all intents and purposes, kind of dead. It's. Yeah, really. Honestly, they're going to produce products there, but it's, it's, it's hard if, and it's if not. They didn't have their own fab. They could have been designing for seven nanometer themselves and TSMC would be trying to spool up another fab to meet the demand of everybody obviously uh, is using them. And it's not just CPUs, obviously graphics as well, but it, you know, I I guess we've talked about this before, but you know, they, they want the control. They, they love that situation where they have their own fab, but at the same time, if they're having this much trouble moving off of 14 nanometer, and now it's going to be at some point in 2020 before we're going to see desktop parts, at 10 nanometer and there's just a couple of options out there for to buy a 10 nanometer product. I was looking at, at a, a document on Intel's site yesterday. It was actually a PDF of specifications of the new 10th generation Nook. I haven't had a chance to write it up yet, but that's 14 nanometer. Like the, their, their small form factor 10th gen desktop is going to be 14 nanometer. I thought at least that's where we'll see 10 nanometer desktop first, right? Because we've seen a couple of laptops ship with 10 nanometer parts already, but no. And and then the higher performing mobile parts that are 10th gen or 14 nanometer. The new MacBook Pro 16 that was just announced is using 14 nanometer because they needed higher core counts, higher clock speeds that they just can't do on 10 nanometer yet. So, you know, I, I'm not going to shit on AMD because they don't have 10 nanometer desktop. They just don't. Okay. So maybe they don't have. They don't have the the successes that they needed to be where they you want to shit be. on AMD or Intel? You mean Intel? Yeah. Did I say AMD? Sorry, I meant yeah. said AMD. Like, oh, that's gonna yeah, set off because everybody wrong. likes <laughs> to defecate on AMD. No, I mean, I, it's what I was thinking in my head. I didn't want to say it was Intel shit the bed on ten nanometer. They don't have they it. Did. They didn't have. Yep. Look at look at what Charlie wrote. Yeah, Charlie is very Seriously. snarky, but Bridge at the same time, too he's not far. Wrong. They the don't technologies. Have, yeah, they don't have the clock speeds. They could release it today and it would underperform compared to their 14 nanometer stuff. It's there's no mystery here. You look at the 10th generation Intel parts that need to have high clocks and high core counts, those are on 14 plus plus. And if you look at the stuff that's like sipping power in the Dell XPS 13 2 and 1, that can be 10 nanometer. And I was excited about 10th gen, by the way. I mean, I was excited about the new graphics and integer scaling being an option and just those early looks that we got like Jim went out and got a Ryzen and a a, a laptop with a 10th gen did you get the XPS Jim was that the yeah so we tested the XPS 13 mm-hmm. 2 and 1 the yeah. 7390 and and it huge graphics gains like we were looking <clears throat> at legitimate <clears throat> graphics 
for the first time from Intel, like integrated graphics that, yeah. that went toe to toe with a Ryzen APU and they just, they don't have the CPU side of it. Well, they so, have the, they have the CPU side of it at those lower powers. Like, cause that's a, that's a 15 right. watt based TDP. Yeah. The I, and, IPC is great. Their design yeah. is really, really, really good, but they can't, it's not scaled up. They can't burst. Yeah. They can't, yeah. they can't get above 35 watt TDP. Um, effectively. I mean, they can push that higher and higher and higher, but their clocks never get up to that, that high spot where it's competitive on the desktop from their yeah. previous generation products, low well, power I mean, stuff, not a problem. We were as as details prior to Ice Lake's launch came out. As details were being fed to the press, I was at an event in Santa Clara, and there were a number of calls, and they were telling us stuff. And there was a point where they they showed that that uh, uh, the architecture was going to have for for Ice Lake was going to have an eighteen percent IPC increase, gen over gen. And there was this, oh, well, you know, wow, and 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 then they eventually showed the clock speeds, and it was, uh, oh. <laughs> and well, they, there you go. You, you had to have that kind of, you had to hit that IPC increase because the clocks were so relatively low and it still turns out faster. If you're looking at Ice Lake versus Whiskey Lake, uh, you, you know, those lower power parts, yeah. the Ice Lake, it's a fine system, but only at, it's, it's an ultrabook limited platform right now. And it doesn't seem that they can get it beyond that. So we'll see. And, and, uh, yeah, we, we, as we always do, we recommend, Check out semiaccurate.com because Charlie over there is he's a hoot. He's well connected, he's super smart, and he's like a just an asshole in all the best ways. And I love the guy. And and you'll you'll get a very um a very entertaining look at, at his thoughts on, on various industry uh developments. So my favorite guy to talk to at these events. Mm -hmm. I, I see him and then I go up to him like, Hey, I read this article and he'll go on about it. It's it's funny. The stuff that he doesn't publish. Like he, he like like Jim said, yeah. he's well connected. He knows what he's talking about. Can we talk about can we talk about Stadia? Speaking I, of Stadia. Uh, shitting on things, you need yeah. to because I need to go get another beer. All right, okay. we'll, we'll we'll start talking. <laughs> this about will Stadia take thirty here. seconds. Yeah. So, DOA, you know, we, we covered Stadia to re to refresh those who who haven't been paying attention. It's Google's effort to do this game streaming stuff that everyone seems to be getting into where it's all streaming on your end. All the processing is done on their servers. They stream it to you. Google came out a few months ago and announced this very ambitious Stadia program. And in addition to the basic stuff of basically remote play streaming, which has kind of been around for a while, they were promising some innovations, things like the controller would directly connect to the server. So you reduce latency there. Uh, where Or they were going to tie it into YouTube so that as you're, you're streaming your gameplay, you can like instance it off and and pause and give a link to someone. And if they're a Stadia subscriber, they can jump right in and, and start playing, you know, in the game that you as the streamer have played and, and all of these, these very exciting things. Well, it came out and we can talk about it. I wish I could talk about it more in depth because, um, I ordered one, it, it officially launched. Uh, I ordered the Stadia premiere just so we'd have something to talk about. Uh, I didn't order it at launch. I ordered it a, about a month ago. And it was supposed to ship, and it, it's, it looks like it's not coming till early next week for me. But what they were supposed to do is you don't need the hardware to play. Up, up front, you do need to have it because this is like that the beta launch window. But you, you, the point is you can play with any type of Chrome browser-based device and a, contr and a compatible controller. So the plan was, even if you don't have your Stadia hardware, uh, 
they'd send you a code, which would let you sign up and start playing right away. Nobody got their codes. So I didn't get a code. People I've talked to didn't get a code. The press got early access. Um, but like a lot of people out there who pre-ordered didn't get the codes they were promised. I'm still waiting as of right now, as of this evening. So I haven't been able to test it, but looking at the press uh, and what they've said, it's not good. Uh, you know, the, you're missing out on 22 whole games. Well, sure. The game library up front is limited. Uh, this is a subscription you service. Buy them again. Yes. Yeah. So you pay, you pay for, for access to the service and you pay for the game. Plus, I mean, who, who, who is unhappy with Google by almost copying one half of, of their uh, album title? Uh, Stadia Arcadia. Who's got it? Who's got it? I got it. Think got about it. it. The, I don't know. The Paps. I'm not the cultured. Paps. Okay. Yep. Come on, Red you don't Hot know Red Hot Oh, God. No. Stadia Arcadia, Arcadia baby. Yeah. Oh, okay. Okay. But uh, huh. the the press who've had a chance to review it, it's it's been pretty meh, you know, ranging from okay to this is this is terrible. Lots of latency issues, lots of video quality issues, limited hey, game you're not selection. Allowed to use the L word, Jim. There is no L word problem with Stadia. Sure, they fixed and, it. They fixed it with their special preemptive control mechanism with the yeah. special controller and the secret sauce. Of course. Uh, but of course, the other thing I've, I've looked at as I've been looking at these reviews, most most uh, major publication writers are based in New York, San Francisco, Los Angeles. They're based in cities close to Google servers with very good uh, internet options. Shocking. You know, I'm here in Florence, Kentucky, where uh, I have very... That is, that is about, an internet uh, nexus of fiber and high-speed internet but it but it ends but you're at on the, the ohio right river street I'm south of the river right. and so uh there's there's no so you'll only be getting stuff in like uh 720p when you finally play it well my i did that you can do a test you can go to the stadia website they'll do a speed test and they can tell you they, they say i'm eligible for up to 4k because i i have good downstream bandwidth the upstream is the issue but, in but terms you of only get 4K if you smear Vaseline across your entire screen. Yes. Well, that was so. Yeah, and, 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 and another issue. At least that, one that's eye. What with I a would love to talk about. Yes. Yeah, people because they're recording... not actually streaming any 4K. Let's be honest. Yeah. It may be a 4K signal, but the 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 games are being rendered at a lower resolution. Yeah. That's something I was reading. Yeah. Ninety five Google wrote this kind of angry little piece, which I appreciated, where they referenced Eurogamer. They referenced. Uh, a conversation the Verge had with uh, Bungie, the Destiny 2 developer. And and Bungie had to admit, well, the Destiny 2 version for Stadia is actually 1080p and then upscaled to 4K. That's the 4K version for Stadia. If you look at screenshots of Red Dead Redemption 2 on yeah. Stadia versus even the Xbox One X, it's, it's being rendered at a lower resolution. Apparently... 1440 according to Eurogamer and then upscaled to 4K and this is on a Chromecast Ultra but if you look at the quality it's just miserable we we've seen all sorts of negative coverage about DLSS from Nvidia which is kind of doing the same thing but this looks dreadful it's it's like low resolution and it's blurry and kind of anti-alias looking and I, it's like a mark it's just marketing they're marketing 4K 60 on all these devices. If they were actually streaming 4K 60, remember what the actual hardware is powering this. 
your instance when you're playing Stadia is so many cores off of an Intel uh, CPU and then an AMD, the equivalent of an AMD Vega 56. I don't think you're reading a lot of reviews that point to AMD's Vega 56 as being a mainstream 4K 60 gaming part. You're not even... (laughs) People aren't even talking about the viability of an RTX 2080 Ti as being your 4K 60 solution across the board. There are still games that 1440 Ultra is bringing your graphics card down to about 45 FPS on like average. Red Resumption 2. Right. Perfect example. So to, say, to say, oh, we've got all the latest games and it's 4K 60. I've been seeing these ads ad nauseum when i watch football on sundays and or youtube like my son watches youtube videos and i have to watch a stadia ad before the the video starts and part of their marketing is 4k 60 there's no way that hardware runs 4k 60 unless they're running ultra low detail settings but even then like it's it yeah 4k upskill it just works yeah (laughs) so ai uh, they're just throwing AI at it, and it's oh, scary. Yeah. yeah. Well, hey, it works so well for NVIDIA and RTX, right? Yeah. yeah. Oh, God. So, uh, you know, check out the uh, Stadia website if you want to look at the details there. And, and as soon as we get our – well, as soon as I either get that uh, – what, what do they call it? The Premier Premier Edition kit in the mail, or if they send me the damn code they were supposed to send me, we'll uh, we'll do some some tests and, 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 you know, get some videos or something up for you guys to take a look. But it's uh, – not looking good so far, but of course, we. I think my quote when we first covered it was that everything they said on stage was it looked great, but it's complete and total bullshit. And it, I mean, it, it, we are not there yet in this country in particular, and in other countries that have poor internet. Uh, we're not at the point where you can consistently have a good experience, even if everything else checks out, even if they're running the right hardware at the ser- at the data center. There's still an issue of of trying to adapt current games, which were designed with local play in mind to the streaming stuff. Now, maybe we'll get new games coming down that are built around streaming and can, can hide some of the problems that come with it, but it's, it's going to be uh, it's going to be a rough, uh, you know, Xbox has got theirs coming out. Amazon's working on something. PlayStation's had, you know, their service for a while. The GeForce now uh, stuff, uh, the streaming edition part of that has, has been there. So it's, uh, I, I just, I totally understand the concept and making gaming accessible to people who don't want to go out and actually put together a gaming PC or buy an expensive gaming PC. But if you're going to be compromising quality, then putting together a much lower end PC and getting about the same result at home makes so much more sense. Like the digital distribution it already allows you to connect to a high-speed internet connection, get the game locally on some kind of a system, and then whatever your online gameplay experience is, you can usually find some sort of settings to mitigate hardware limitations and get a playable experience. And once again, it your online gameplay experience is all about latency. And getting the lowest ping times is going to have a bigger impact. Like... If, if you're competitively playing a game, I don't think you care as much about eye candy. You lower your settings until you have smooth frame rates on your home system and you try to get a better connection to lower your pings and have a better experience so you can actually win. So there, 
and clearly they're not showing that type of game in their uh, advertising. It's not like they came out and said, this is the ultimate way to play Fortnite. This is not. And I just kind of, I'm curious about it because you still need some sort of device to play it. And some of the devices they're talking about are devices that can already play mobile games just fine. Mm-hmm. And the industry obviously loves mobile as a platform and selling you on microtransactions, basically like that freemium model where you get the app for free, but then you want upgrades and you want accessories and dances and etc. And you pay real money for these things. They're trying to get that casual mainstream gamer playing these AAA PC titles. Isn't that what the consoles are for? If you're not a hardcore PC gamer who has a tower actually playing with a keyboard and a mouse, aren't you in front of an Xbox? I don't really understand the need suddenly when we have this consumer uh, appliance like an Xbox or a PlayStation that you just plug in, you turn it on, you create an account, you start downloading and playing games with people. Why at this point do we suddenly need like, no, 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 you're, you're Chromecast. That will be your game system because it doesn't need to have a GPU because we'll just we'll have a GPU in the cloud. And at some point, I'm sure everything will be in the cloud and we'll just have these dumb terminals and they'll be beautiful. And you won't even notice the difference. No, no, that's never going to happen. Do you know why? Why? Because the display people will increase things. They're going to increase complexity the software people are going to increase complexity where cloud and internet connection is just not going to be able to keep up. It's, it's kind of a cycle. I mean, how, how long have we been promised shit's going to get rendered on the cloud and it's going to be done to you and it's going to give you a great experience and it hasn't Google's trying it. There are others before and graphics software and cpu power are increasing far more dramatically than the bandwidth that we have to our homes to be able to do this effectively and in a way that you can afford because i'm in wyoming and i've got 100 megabit down and that's pretty good for 44 dollars a month and there are people in probably two dozen cities that can get gigabit for a little bit more money than that but that's not the majority of the people out there in this entire country in general i'm just looking in the u.s yeah and it's uh, it's and i mean software continues to grow and expand and when they look at this is and say hey you know I'm, i'm running ut 2004 and we can give you this 4K experience, but we're not running UT 2004. We're we're running Red Dead Redemption and trying to get, you know, views for miles and all these shader effects and all of these other things that if you render it locally versus, you know, something that's highly compressed and brought to you and has got 70 milliseconds of, of latency involved, it's just, it ruins the experience. and. We're not anywhere near that. And it's going to be 20 years before we can start really even thinking about that. Yeah. It's obviously all a plot to get people to volunteer to let Google drop one of their rail cars in their backyard and hook it up to the person's mains. 
<laughs> that way, you know, Google gets to spread their servers everywhere. And hey, your stadia works really damn good. Yeah. Shame about that electrical bill, though. Sure about well, it's, that. Guys. It's either that or having Mark Zuckerberg uh, drone blimps hovering above your house, distributing five G everywhere. But uh, and and as as Biohazard pointed out in our Discord, uh, not just the quality of the internet here, but also in this country in particular too, is is the issue of bandwidth caps. Uh, thankfully, yes. I I don't have that here. Uh, the that's the one thing we you don't have to worry about. But lots of residential connections have a a pretty ridiculous cap nowadays, and you're talking about. 4K streaming to your Roku's and your Apple TV's and then just general browsing and then what's left over for all this high quality 4K game streaming and suddenly your one terabyte cap or whatever is up and either you're either cutting you off or they're jacking up your bill so uh or yeah, it really sucks down. when it starts to yeah, throttling, yeah. Josh and I though we have uh, you have Spectrum right Josh like Charter I do and yep. You know, we've we've both had issues with upload speeds, and it seems like they have a little bit of a problem with Skype back in the day. It seemed like you hit that one hour mark, and suddenly your connection goes to absolute shit. Yeah. Yep. They they manage. They do some network, uh, whatever they call it, shaping, traffic shaping management, and yeah. it's it's fine for you know, download is okay. It's not amazing. Upload has always been constrained. I don't live in an area where I can even get. Uh, there's certainly no fiber and there's nothing with a there's like, no affordable in, fiber. Yeah. No. You got if, a thousand bucks. Was, you look at yeah, no problem. A month. Yeah. If Google was saying, look, That's get our fiber internet, and then if you're on Google Fiber, you can get this thing called Google Stadia, which is this really cool ultra low latency streaming gaming service but to say that over the existing infrastructure all over the u.s you're going to be able to get this and stream it and it's going to look as good as it does on the ads that keep running is completely unrealistic do you know how much dark fiber there still is across this entire country canada's just as bad too it's i mean they in the 90s they laid down all of this fiber yeah and have never done anything with it it's nope. it's it's ludicrous in the, in the northeast scene uh, where i i grew up uh, you know when i was in high school uh and then had gone to college but my parents were still in, in buffalo like verizon got a big big taxpayer funded uh you know on the state level i think primarily mm-hmm. but they got mil- hundreds of millions if not billions of dollars to lay out fiber and they started to and then they stopped and obviously the fios is available in certain areas but there are huge areas where they were, they had, they were required by their their commitments to do it, and they never did it, and um, it's just a lot of wasted potential. Now here we've got we got Cincinnati Bell just across the river, and they're actually down in Northern Kentucky too. But the fiber connection is not uh, not as ubiquitous. But you know, and that's good to have a local fiber provider. But it's just you can't I can't get it here. I can't get it uh, at this address at, at any cost because they'd have to dig up the whole street to do it. So well, we probably paid this story more attention than it deserved um but you know we'll, it was we'll, fun uh, to bitch about it though yeah we'll directional drilling and conduit for the win sure sure mm-hmm. uh so we'll uh we'll, we'll take a look once we finally get access to stadia uh as we were promised we'll uh we'll, we'll take a look and see how see how we uh we can use it here we'll run stadia on that 3950x system you know there we go sure um, well, let's quickly take a look at uh, some uh, negative news for uh, Qualcomm. There was a, uh, a security issue with some of their chips. Uh, 
that have uh, impacted Qualcomm-powered smartphones. Uh, right, Jeremy? Yep. And Josh did a lot of coverage on what it is, which is the trust zone. Uh, the idea with a lot of these chips is that they're secure right down to the metal. Small problem is that uh, the secure execution environment and the trusted execution environment were both uh, vulnerable to fuzzing, uh, essentially just dumping ridiculous amounts of random data at it until you can cause an overflow of some sort. And yeah, so essentially 100% were vulnerable to this. Thankfully, it's been patched. Uh, so if you are running an Android-based uh, OS uh, and you're, you're working off of a Qualcomm chip, you're going to want to make sure that it's updated. Uh, the original one was patched back in about 2004, and they never really covered it much. The other one was patched fairly recently. If, on the other hand, you're running an older handset that's no longer being updated, uh, you might want to get rid of it. Uh, essentially, uh, this is... It, because it's connected to a network and they're just able to do this, it can just randomly take an app and run it in anywhere that it feels like. It can get over the trusted apps. Uh, they, they can take an app that's been that's been marked as trusted, modify it however the hell they feel like it, and sneak it into your system. And it's now running in the trusted environment and able to do whatever it feels like. So they say it's been patched, but if you're... and there's been some old pixels that were probably the worst, uh, but there's some older Sony's uh, and HTC's and probably so, uh, uh, Samsung's as well. But, you know, they just don't get OS updates anymore. They're not going to get the security patch. So if you know someone running an incredibly old phone, you might want to suggest they think about going to a slightly less old phone or a brand new one if they want. It's a plot yeah. to get people to upgrade. Well, that, that is as, as someone to Intel, or I mean, uh, to, to, yeah, yeah, it's not the, just uh, Intel that has these issues. Yeah, the, the uh, as someone who's primarily used an iPhone as a smartphone, uh, having only dabbled with Android phones over the years, the inconsistency of updates across the platform is is the one surprising thing, because um, you, you get a lot more choice, no no question, and a lot more value, but not having having older phones not get updates as frequently, or or having to manually go through your carrier to get the update and uh yeah just got to be careful but uh all right speaking of chips uh, but on the desktop side of things uh sebastian uh found for us a story about uh centaur which is a, a via owned company right um yep. via technology so centaur uh they've come out with a a new soc an x86 soc with an integrated ai co-processor uh tell us about which this, is a sebastian. first it's an industry a first, first. And these are apparently new x86 cores. So they're not just recycling something. And Josh is going to have a lot more to say about this. And he actually has a fun prop for us as well. But fun prop. The thing, that I, the thing that I immediately saw uh, that prompted me to do a little bit of reading about this is AVX512 support from this, which is something that Intel has been, I thought, was an exclusive to them. Uh, it's not in the Zen 2 core. And in fact... It's what is behind the deep learning boost technology and in Intel's upcoming parts that we were briefed about. And I remember asking the question, like, so deep learning boost is AVX 512, right? And they're like, well, yeah, it's like the marketing term for for what we're doing with those instructions, basically the paraphrasing their response. But 
you know, it's for Centaur to come out with a part that says, oh yeah, we have AVX 512 and we have an integrated uh, AI coprocessor as well. So they could have some really impressive uh, performance in those applications. You're talking about MLPerf, something that I don't even begin to understand how to get up and running, but something that it's, it's becoming obviously more and more important in the industry. And if they have a win there, it could be very interesting. And obviously, I mean, who's heard of Centaur technology? So it's Via, we know, but it's been a long time since Via has had any relevance at all in the CPU space. Centaur has been going on for a long time. Glenn Henry, yeah. uh, he yeah. was he was one of the founders. He was still active up until a few years ago, and even now he's he's doing remote work for them with uh, with microcode stuff. I mean, he. You look up Glenn Henry, and this this guy is is you know he's, he's one of these rock stars in the industry. Uh, probably hasn't gotten as much coverage as is Jim uh, Keller and and others, but uh, the dude is extremely smart. And uh, and you know Centaur has had some really interesting things. They have done more with less than perhaps any other company, and. I mean, dozens of engineers that are working on these designs and they can still release in 2010 these, these, you know, really power efficient, high performance dual core processors that are, you know, core two uh, type performance and still really like five to 15 watts. I think this one is maybe 35 watts if you look at the size of the heat sink there. But this is the uh, the nano du- dual core, and uh, because they used the older Intel bus, they could do multiple cores on the gosh GTL Plus, I believe, was the bus that these used. But you know, Via still has an x86 license and a license that covers all of these things that they need to make. A modern processor, including AVX five twelve, and they That's crazy if they to decide like, to your license allows that? them to have whatever new technology Intel comes up with. Yeah, hmm. yeah, and it's cross licensed with AMD, so you can have yeah, AMD sixty four. It's it's just that that they were granted one of these licenses. It's not like we're granting you this license, and you can only have technology up to two thousand ten. No, it's 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 an x86 license. And so they can do whatever they want. So it's just instructions. It's it's a unit that can handle all of those instructions and there's more than one way to skin a cat. They're not copying Intel's AVX 512 unit. They're doing their own thing. Just as long as they can cover the instructions that are uh given by the AVX 512 specification. So unless, you know, something that exists outside of x86, like some of these AI coprocessors, then yeah. But no, I mean, AVX stuff is, is I think it's all within the x86 license, as well as AMD stuff and, and, and things that they do to the basic core 
of these products. But, uh, you know, when you're talking about DSPs and, 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 and co-processors and that, those are not covered. So, you know, AI stuff, they can kind of market, but anyway, uh, Centaur, they, there's some smart people there. They have some really interesting things. And if they can achieve pretty good performance at low power and that kind of compatibility, there may still be an area for them to, uh, mm-hmm. you know, get some products in. So, cause, and, and I guess both Sebastian and I are not familiar with this company. Are they still a force enough that they would be positioned to make a move into the market? If this does turn out to be compelling, do they have the resources to, to push this in and, and take on Intel? And I, I'm not a prognosticator, but however, the chances are low. Looking at historical volumes, extremely low. Bia made some pretty good money in some pretty closed um, infrastructure area with, you know, mechanization in, in industrial applications where they they do almost turnkey solutions to things that cheaper low power uh can handle more extreme temperatures in in china and asia that's where they've made money off this stuff but you know you're you're talking about signage and you're talking about some high temperature cnc machines and things like that that they have sold their products in and, and some low level you know automized uh, automation type stuff for industrial applications. Um, basic computers for people, they've had very limited impact. I mean, some more so in China around 2010 to 2014, uh, just because it was more of a closed market and they were able to offer good performance at low power and, uh, you know, sold to, to companies that were able to, you know, do really, really, really cheap computers. Uh, but other than that, it's been downhill from them for, you know, from about 2014, 2015. And so this is an interesting uh, move for them. And we'll see how well it does. I don't I don't know. I mean, I, they're not going to change the world, but they could carve out a niche for themselves. All right. It so looks something- really good on paper. Yeah. Yeah. And I think as Sebastian alluded to, too, part of it is us having to understand the, the whole thing where we started with AI, deep learning, machine learning, uh, understanding the workloads, understanding the more abstract stuff. Uh, you know, our, our core audience is enthusiasts, but it's important to keep an eye on, on this stuff. So we've got to figure out how to how to measure and, and interpret some of these uh, results. But uh Hey, uh, we're going to take a break uh, just for a couple minutes here. We're going to hear from Before we us. take a break, let, oh, me okay. ju- let me just say, okay, in 2010, when I reviewed this, and this was the uh, Nano DC, if you could take a look under here, it's not actually one single chip. It's their previous generation, two chips on a single substrate. So chiplets. It, it was, but it was all, it was like, you know, it was the Pentium 4 type dual core, uh, except for our Via Nano. And so kind of take that with a grain of salt. 
because when they sent these out, they're like, this is representative of the Nano DC dual core, but it's not actually the, the final product that we're eventually going to get out. But it was really power efficient and it worked really well and it was decent 3D and and CPU performance. So take the go to the bad. All right. Well, uh, as I said, uh, we're just going to take a uh, quick break here uh, to hear from our sponsors. We'll be back in just a minute. The basics of your wardrobe, things like underwear, socks, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants are important. But for so many of us, we stock these categories with bulk sales from department stores. That may save a little money up front, but you end up with clothing that gives you an inconsistent fit, isn't as comfortable as it should be, and frankly, lacks quality and needs to be replaced regularly. Mack Weldon aims to change your wardrobe for the better by replacing these throwaway items with high-quality, smartly designed essentials that are easy to shop for, comfortable to wear, and long-lasting. In fact, Mack Weldon pledges that their products will be the best-looking and most comfortable underwear, socks, shirts, undershirts, hoodies, and sweatpants you'll ever wear. Indeed, if you don't like your first pair of underwear, just let them know. You can keep the item, and you'll still be issued a full refund with no questions asked. Not only do Mack Weldon Essentials look and feel good, they perform well, too. With features like custom-engineered and silver-infused breathable fabric, you'll find options that are naturally antimicrobial, adaptable for any season, and perfect for everything from working out to a day in the office to a long day of traveling. I've recently started adding Mack Weldon items to my wardrobe, and I was easily able to find the right fit and fabric for things like boxer briefs and athletic socks. But my favorite item so far is probably Mack Weldon's Ace Sweatpant, a super comfortable pair of pants with French terry fabric, a handy zipper pocket, and a tailored fit, making them great for lounging around editing PC per videos, or even running errands around town. But we want you to try out Mack Weldon for yourself, and we have a special offer for our podcast audience. For 20% off your first order, visit MacWeldon.com and use discount code PCPER at checkout. That's M-A-C-K-W-E-L-D-O-N.com and discount code PCPER for 20% off your first order. Start upgrading your wardrobe today at MacWeldon.com. All right, and we're back. Uh, thanks uh, to Mac Weldon as our sponsor this week. And uh, uh, yes, I, I don't know uh, if they sell if they have embroidery because we've seen some requests for PC per branded uh, nice. underpants. That would be great. Yeah, I, want, um, I want some Josh Tech yeah. boxer briefs. That'd be nice. Yes. Be stained for your convenience. Pre, yeah, pre, pre, no, well, no, at, at the very least, at the very least, pre-owned. We'll pre, wash them for you. Pre-washed, no. not pre-owned. You know, we we tried to uh, when it was popular a few months ago we tried selling pc per branded bathwater, but the cdc stepped in and shut us down so yeah uh you know turns out i'm for... a staff carrier <laughs> yeah <laughs> well hey you got to share the love well let's uh, let's continue on with the news so we don't go too long today uh there was some uh exciting news we don't know all the details because i guess they're gonna finally nope. come tomorrow but yeah. uh I, I wrote this news article uh on i guess it was tuesday and then Sebastian thought I didn't do a good enough job, so he wrote it again on Wednesday. Man, <laughs> I like family ties, but why do I want to be Alex Keaton? Look, sure, sure. I was feeling especially productive the other morning, and I was pumping out some news stories. And you know, I okay, it's all right. You, you had a better graphic. You look past the first page. Like I you, you, read past the first page. You had a, you had a better graphic. But anyway, what we're talking about <laughs> is Half Life Alex, 
And uh, not to be confused with Half Life Allen, which is where you in you know in VR you create like a for you rack of storage nonsense. But yeah, and then and then uh, with all of your hard drives, you then use Windows storage spaces to control the the storage volume. But anyway, uh, so this is Half Life Alex, but presumably Alex, meaning Alex Vance, the uh, female character from Half Life Two, and it's it's a it's not Half Life Three. And we're not sure exactly no. how big of a game this will be. Flag, or I'm sorry, Valve calls it a flagship uh, title, flagship VR title. Uh, so we'll, we'll see. But but it's it's going to be a uh, a you know a, a pretty involved VR game set in the Half Life universe. They've promised to release the details this Thursday. So that's tomorrow when we're recording this, November 21st at 10 a.m. Pacific. So check it out. They they announced it through their Twitter feed. I imagine they'll be distributing. Uh, materials or at least links to to further materials through Twitter there as well, and uh, and we'll, we'll have to check and see. Uh, this got uh, teased or leaked prior to launch. Some people, I guess, Valve had interviewed or, or pre-recorded an interview with Jeff Keighley, uh, the, you know, the video games uh, host and, and journalist, and that that leaked, and so they, we knew something was coming, and uh, and so we'll have to see how it is or you know, how this goes. Uh, uh, presumably, this will be exclusive to Steam VR as a platform, and. Uh, Although you know that supports multiple different types of headsets, so so we'll we'll see how uh, how this goes. So let's check in tomorrow. Yeah, half life three confirmed. <clears throat> huh. <clears throat> but uh, it's interesting after so so long between any type of major software release from Valve uh, to what, have this. Portal Two but, was five years ago. Six. Oh, I think it was more than that. Portal or. Almost Portal Two. The original Portal was like 2008. Yeah, Portal Two was April 18th, 2011. Eight years ago, more than eight years ago. And they've done, you know, they've had other releases, uh, you know, the esports type stuff, the card games, and and things like that. Uh, they've had, you know, small releases, uh, and of course, Steam has gone up and down in terms of competition. You've had. Epic come in and, and really challenge them. Although Steam just got EA back on board, uh, so that's interesting. But but yeah, something to keep an eye on. We'll uh, we'll have more news uh, tomorrow, Wednesday, uh, Thursday, Thursday the twenty first. Yeah. And uh, finally, uh, we've got uh, the announcements from the twenty nineteen Hackaday contest. Uh, Jeremy, tell us uh, tell us about this. No, oh, this is always fun. Uh, Hackaday puts together this uh, prize where there is uh, numerous prizes to be won. Uh, you don't even have to be able to build what it is that you're planning on building because there are prizes for just presenting a very well drawn out plan uh, for a project. But the, the big winners are uh, announced very recently. So you've got 11 of them. The big, biggest one is this field kit which is essentially just a ruggedized uh, sensor suite. I, I sort of refer to it as a tricorder. It's not quite as portable, but uh, essentially it can do just about any sort of data gathering remotely that you are going to want. And part of the big reason I think that they want it is because they slapped uh, a nice UI on it so that, you know, someone who's doing biological research doesn't have to learn how to program a computer. They just, you know, here's the sensors, plug this in here, plug that in there drop it in the water, away she goes. It's it's really interesting. Uh, personally, I loved uh, the 3D printable working prosthetics. 
literally you can now print out a working prosthetic limb as opposed to spending huge amounts of money on uh, one of the you, you buy uh, through one of the providers nowadays and that isn't necessarily going to do everything you want it to whereas this one it's open source you can do pretty much whatever you feel like with it which is just you know it's it's impressive to see what some people with uh you know a lot of ideas and a little bit of financial uh initiative or incentive are going to do like for instance the field kit $125,000 uh the rest of them are about $10,000 up to and including if you really really have to have a Linux based tablet here you go there, there is a project to go straight through on how to build it from the ground up and away you go. So it's worth taking a look at. It's a lot of fun. And uh, I'm just, I was going to cut to Josh here to give him an opportunity to say whatever he needs to say about the prosthetic arm. No. Okay. <laughs> Interesting. Okay. Well, it's a back scratcher with AI. <laughs> All right. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I was curious about the gripping motion, but that's fine. And uh, that's the, the that's the uh, the rest of the Hackaday Awards. We will have a link in the show notes to that. Uh, let's move on to reviews. We've got a couple of reviews, including a new uh, uh, review from a new new member of our review team here. So we'll get to that. But first, let's start off with Sebastian. Uh, he reviewed for us some Corsair IQ QL RGB fans, and they're Lots they're right here. In this case, next to me, I stuffed all five of them that we got. We got two of the 140s and two of the, or three of the 120s. It's interesting because, and I've got the box here. The this this is the QL series RGB fan, and what's what they've done is they've basically taken like okay, here's one of your standard Corsair addressable RGB fans, and this has I think this one just has four lighting zones might be eights, but they, they have lighting around the hub. And it shines through these sort of translucent fins, and it looks nice. But then they have higher-end fans where they put an additional lighting ring around the perimeter, and they're up to like 16 zones, like 12 around the perimeter, 4 around the middle. With these, they've literally taken that concept that's on like the LL series fans and doubled it. So now both sides of the fan have the same uh lighting configuration so the like the inside of the hub and the outside of the fan have four zones a piece and then there's 12 zones around uh the front and back outer ring so it's just it's like double the light output so and it, it, it's hard to take pictures of this stuff and it's i i did the best i could in the review but it's it's just a lot more lighting. It certainly makes a big difference for the inside of the case. I thought that was kind of a more impressive thing than what it was doing externally because their, their fans already look good from the outside. Of course, I don't have the best camera angle here for anybody watching on video. But it's, to me, pretty much, like there, there are no internal light strips on this case. This is a new case from Corsair. It's the uh, Graphite 220T, which I haven't finished the review on this yet, but it, it's a great showcase for these because by literally just putting in my motherboard, which has some RGB lighting already, which is pretty common these days, got RGB memory from Corsair in there, which casts a little bit of light, but I'm completely illuminating the inside of the case here 
just with the fan lighting. And it is putting out just as much light on the outside of the case. So it's interesting. I mean, I didn't do like noise and temperature test these versus the LL series that came with this case or anything like that. Cause honestly, these are $140 for a set of the three fans and it's 120 for the two 140 millimeter fans there. If you're spending that much money, like entry level graphics card money on just a three pack of fans, you're probably not buying it because they're the quietest fans and they're absolutely not the quietest fans. They're PWM fans. So you can, you can customize your profile. You could make them spin at 600 RPMs all the time. If, if that's what you want, and they're they're just as quiet as the previous models I've I've tested in these cases, but it's literally like a luxury fan item, and I thought it was kind of cool because it's literally put these fans in a case, and now the case is as lit up as if I had put in like RGB light strips around the perimeter. So just so expensive though. They're pretty though. Uh, yeah, I mean, that, of course they're RGB. Well, most RGB fans, most addressable RGB fans, are pretty pricey to begin with. Uh, but this is uh, yeah. Yeah, Corsair. Their software is good. Their quality is yeah. pretty good. So, the, the IQ. I have no problem with IQ software. Uh, it's very straightforward. We went through like lighting with their controllers with the uh, Hydro X review, and that was like that was the absolute pinnacle of their customizable lighting. If you look at the Hydro X liquid cooling components from Corsair. It's just crazy how many adjustable light zones you get. And they're taking it to kind of a crazy level with this to have this many lighting zones. I was looking around. Is there anything even comparable? And Thermaltake has a triple ring fan, but this is quadruple. So I, I didn't even know that the addressable RGB rings world was this competitive, but apparently it is. So right now, Corsair has the lead with the most zones per fan it's obviously vital for your gaming performance. I haven't done any benchmarks yet. I suspect that this system is faster because there's four lighting rings per fan. It just makes sense. Yeah. Well, I mean, cases with uh, they've be, they don't have to be obviously, but they've become an art, a piece of artwork. I mean, this is this is an artistic expression with. The, the glass, the lighting, the, the, the way you address the lighting to make effects and all that. And, and I mean, I don't ever, I, I don't have RGB lighting in my case, except for may, what might be on the board itself and the card. And I generally don't uh, fiddle with it, but you see some of these builds on like the rattle, uh, battle stations, subreddit and stuff like that. And, and they're, they're incredible. They look great. And, uh, Oh, and it's, by it's the a, way, Ooh, this just was announced yesterday. I have not completed a review yet, but they've got more RGB IQ stuff on the way. This is, uh, Josh will be familiar with this. You know, the NZXT Hue system. Now Corsair has their own lighting strip. Oh, setup. great. Cause you know, the, okay. So originally I was really happy with the NZXT thing. How's that working out now? Sucks. Software oh. sucks they, okay. constantly. Yeah, I was going to ask you about that because it just came out with uh, Canon four today. I think constantly just updates stuff and it ash and it's just it just it just is like you know can't communicate with the server. And you got to do all the yeah, that part it just, sucks. It, nah. 
That that's where I, I liked IQ better in that regard because when I was setting this up, I actually had to manually go and check for firmware updates for the controller, check for an update for the software itself, which I needed to have the profile for the QL series fans because it was an older version of IQ I had. But straightforward and nothing happening automatically. I never like anything running in the background if I don't have to. And I do not like the fact that the cam software asks you to be logged in. I just say no and continue in guest mode, but it wants a login. Yeah, and, and not only that, but it's like stuff. it wants you, it wants to be able to take information from what you're doing and gaming stuff. And, and no. it's like, what are you doing with this information, dude? It just... It, uh... Well, I, I recall there was a, a controversy uh, uh, maybe close to a year ago now where people noticed that the cam software was uploading gigabytes of data. And apparently uh, from the official response from NZXD, it was, it was a, a glitch. It wasn't meant to be doing that. But, but yeah, there's no need to... I mean, I, ideally, you'd want all this stuff to be hardware, and there are some like BIOSes that let you do very basic level uh, lighting without having to run anything. Uh, but if you have to run software, I've I've personally found like Corsair's uh, IQ and then the Logitech G, uh, I don't know what the official name is, the G Hub, I guess. Uh, yeah. Those are yeah. those are two that they they seem to run fine. They don't they don't uh, have a lot of system resources. They don't require logins. They don't use a lot of network connection except to like check for an update. Um, Steel so. Series likes to update like twice a day. Mm. <laughs> yeah. HyperX uh, kind of sucks now because they yeah. literally took away all downloads for their software. There's no software support whatsoever on their website. This redirect you to the Windows Store for this beta version of their new Ingenuity software. But literally, you go through their product support pages, there's no downloads for anything anymore. Yeah. So if you have an older product, it's like, sorry, we don't host that XE file anymore unless you can find it on an FTP server. You can go ahead and go to the Windows Store and get this new version. So. Oh, boy. Well... Well, if you're yeah. if if you want to spend a lot good of money and you want there. IQ is is good <laughs> software you can actually download from their website. Yes, um, and it's been a it's been a big year for Corsair. So they acquired Elgato. I think yeah. it was last year though, but they they made it. The they, they 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 kicked off at CES with a big big thing with like a joint joint uh, conference. And then they bought Origin uh, a few months ago, and they've continued to release uh, you know a bunch of stuff. A lot, a lot of a lot of uh, big announcements, so check it out. The Corsair uh, QL RGB fans. Uh, if you want, if you want to spend a lot of money, but also have a case that is customizable to the and extreme. Then, and very importantly, it's in the comments section. But if you scroll all the way down in that review, you will see Jim has debuted the new and improved uh, Gold Award. His mm -hmm. gold, obviously, it's it's one color. It's boring. It's well, static. So we have. They they asked for an RGB gold award, so I gave. Yeah, it to where's them. the blink? Where's the blink tag? <laughs> well, I, I want this couldn't... to be addressable. I want it to be interactive. I just don't know uh, how to make it work. Yeah, well, this 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 lovely masterpiece represented about thirty seconds in Illustrator. If I want to make like an animated GIF or something, we'll have to we'll have to try something else out. But uh, if you're if you're an audio listener, it's 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 terrible. It's awful. It but... yeah. <laughs> It's like every primary color colliding well, in one uh, horrendous image. They asked for RGB. I gave them RGB. I appreciate it. All right. Uh, next up, uh, real quick here, we've got a review of the ThinkPad P53. This is one of ThinkPad's new lineup uh, of uh, uh, of uh, works or of uh, well, new lineup of 
of laptops this year, and this is their workstation, the P series, the P class workstation. And this is one of their beefiest, most powerful, most flexible workstations out there. Uh, Jim, 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 can I interrupt you rudely as always? Of course. Let's talk about your, you've, you've upped your photo game significantly. Yes. I'm not going to say you're directly copying anyone here. I will. With those little succulents back there. It's like, is this, did Chris take these pictures? Did, uh, did Chris go over to Jim's house and take these pictures? I stole those from Chris. I think you stole your enterprise. And as well. I stole the enterprises from you. Yeah, so I was going to say that, that I don't have that, that. I can tell instantly that that's the Eagle Moss large version of the 1701D. And I can see the larger version of the uh, 1701 behind it. Also, yes. Eagle Moss. I've also got the A that's just out of frame there. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Those are not those are not Diamond Select folks. Those are the Eagle Moss, uh, the Jumbos, the limited editions. But uh, anyway, enterprises in the background. That's what we're talking about. Yeah, the Eagle Moss uh, series. Mm -hmm. Now, because your depth of field, okay, Josh, I'm lost too. Not yeah, the depth of field. I mean, I would like to see a little bit more bokeh back there. Well, I'm limited on how far I can. Composition of that photo. You just need to get another lens. Oh, well, okay, fine. But uh, 35, uh, like a 1.8, they're not too expensive, but, you know. Well, I'll I'm work jealous. on it. That's, it, a, that's a great setup. I like the background. <laughs> I think you did a great job. But the composition is, is uh, it, there's, I have no complaints there. It's fantastic. Well, this is the only setup, so we're soon going to get sick of it, I promise. But uh, anyway, let's talk about the actual product here. So we've got this workstation. It's the P53, the Lenovo P53, P53 ThinkPad. Uh, it is, it is a uh, how do I put this? So there's a, there's a website as a cat lover. There's a, a subreddit called Chonkers that's dedicated to fat cats, <laughs> and this is a chonker of a laptop. Uh, it is um, it it's five be. and a half pounds uh, as configured. There's a huge range of, of configurability. It's a 15 inch laptop, but it's got the huge bezels. Um, around it so it doesn't have that sleek look but it's solid it's it's plastic and metal construction the hinges are thick it feels good the material feels nice uh, you open and close it it's it everything feels like it's a re it's like a tank of a laptop it's not intended as one of those like mil spec durable like use it on a construction site kind of things where it's like that but but for a for a, a normal you know office and travel laptop it's it's probably one of the better constructed uh devices i've used and uh, the one issue, though, is it's expensive. You're going to pay for this. Uh, now, Lenovo pricing is all over the place. Uh, they're one of the ones, one of the companies, they always have a sale going on. Um, and, and, and then they also, they regularly change their pricing based on supply, uh, you know, and that's been an issue with the trade wars and stuff. So as reviewed right now, like the retail price of this is $4,300. That was well, as of yes, yesterday, I believe. That, that has changed like four times since I acquired this laptop for review a month ago. And it's also, that's the sale price with the Thanksgiving sale that's going on right now. I mean, because again, they're, they're, they're a company that always has a sale. So like they're the quote list price for this laptop is like $6,800, but you take 2,500 off or something crazy, but they've always got that. So make sure you're paying attention, but they start as low as about 1200. So you can get like a 9,400 F in there and eight gigs of Ram and 250 gig SSD so you can, you can get into this form factor pretty low uh, and then, you know, upgrade it either out of the out of the box or, or over time as needed. Now, this particular laptop, it came uh, pretty well loaded. It's got the 99, I'm sorry, the 9850 
uh, H, the i7-9850H. So that's the uh, uh, six core, 12 thread uh, mobile part. And uh, it's got the RTX, the Quadro RTX 5000 graphics with eight, or, I'm sorry, 16 gigabytes of uh, memory. So it's, it's, I'm sorry, 16 gigabytes of graphics memory. So it's pretty powerful there. You can have up to 128 gigs of, of RAM. It came with uh, two, 230, I'm sorry, 232 gigabyte DIMMs. So uh, 64 gigs total there. And it's got three, if I can find the picture here, I'll see it's got three um, uh, M.2 SSD, 2280 M.2 SSD slots as well there. So uh, it came with a one terabyte Samsung NVMe drive. You can add additional, again, as you order or over time. Upgrading is super easy. Uh, it's got four RAM slots total. There's two on the keyboard side. So the other side of this, so it takes a little more to, to get to them. But what Lenovo does, it's handy, is if you order RAM out of the box or you know, RAM at the factory, they'll install it if possible in those other, on the slots on the other side, leaving two slots free for you here to easily upgrade uh, additional memory. You can access your networking there. So it's got the uh, AX200 Intel chip with Wi-Fi 6 and Bluetooth 5. Just a ton of flexibility. And I've been reviewing um, Ultrabooks all year. Like uh, the only laptops I've really tried this year have been like the 15 watt TDP ones. Everything's soldered. There's no flexibility. There's no ports. Forget about upgrading RAM. And so to see something like this, it's got ports galore. Uh, it's full-size HDMI 2.0, two full-size USB um, uh, Type-A ports, a memory card reader, uh, an, a USB Type-C port on the other side, headphone jack. It's got uh, uh, always-on uh, mobile connectivity, so you've got a SIM, SIM slot optionally there. And then on the back, you've got full-size gigabit Ethernet, two Thunderbolt 3 ports, and then, of course, the uh, the power connection. You can't charge it with USB uh, a C or Thunderbolt. It's it's a 230 watt uh, power brick, uh, which is it's it's pretty hefty. Although Lenovo says they've reduced the size this generation by I think 35 percent. So it's got a ton of ports, a uh, ton of uh, upgradability. It's got the great Lenovo keyboard. It's got a full keypad. I'm not crazy about that. I know some people really like that, but with the full keypad there, it shifts everything to the left. So you've got your keyboard and the trackpad on the left, like just offset to the left, and you can get used to it. But I would have rather preferred a uh, a full keyboard without the numeric pad, take full advantage of that surface area, uh, you know, space out the, the arrow keys perhaps a little bit. Uh, but but it, it is what it is. Um, and if you do like that numeric keypad, it's there for you. As a ThinkPad, of course, it's got the little nub that you can use. Uh, with the, the buttons uh, for that below the space bar and then another full-size trackpad, multi-touch trackpad there uh, with the buttons there as well. It's got a fingerprint sensor. Uh, it's optional, but our model came with an IR, Windows Hello compatible uh, 720p webcam. It's got that Think Shutter feature so that it's a, it's a manual little switch to, to physically disconnect the and cover the webcam for privacy. So overall, uh, just a ton of power, a ton of flexibility. It, it comes up, it comes with up to a 4K OLED touch display. Ours was the 1080p anti-glare. It's non-touch, but it's Dolby Vision, 500 nit uh, rated brightness. The display was uh, okay. Uh, the color accuracy for most of the part, or for most part was pretty good. And uh, uniformity uh, was, was okay as well. There's a little bit of backlight bleed, a little bit of issues with luminance uniformity, as you'll see here, a little bit uh, of an issue there, but but acceptable, not not terrible. I mean, if you're if you're doing color accurate work on this, it might be a problem. But overall, okay. 
And uh, it's 100% sRGB coverage, 77% Adobe RGB coverage on the gamut. Uh, for performance, as I said, I've only been using like Ultrabooks all year. That's the only thing we've tested. So I didn't have any like work workstation class laptops to compare this to. So instead of doing charts, I've just I've just given you the results of the tests we ran, and you can take a look at that. Uh, in terms of frequency, we can see here as a as a big laptop with a lot of vents, it can hold a decent uh, all core boost. So we ran Cinebench here. You can see the blue line is the processor utilization up to a hundred percent, and then the uh, on the left scale here is the uh, 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 average core frequency for the all core boost. And it uh, it settles in around 3.3 gigahertz. So 3.3 gigahertz of a maintained boost during a workload in a laptop on six cores, 12 threads, not too bad, uh, not too bad there. So here's those uh, those test results I mentioned. Again, we don't as we do more if we get additional workstation class laptops in, we can put together a comparison chart. But uh, the my goal here is that you can take some of these numbers and compare them to any other laptops you might be considering. Uh, and we ran through uh, workstation-focused stuff. We didn't do gaming. We did. We used 3D Mark and some other tests that have a gaming component. But this isn't a gaming laptop. You shouldn't be buying this as your gaming product. This is uh, professional work. So we did things like Nova. Uh, I'm sorry. Uh, well, Nova Bench is sort of an all-around. But we did Spec View Perf, V-Ray, Blender, uh, and uh, you can see all the results there. The SSD is a, a Samsung SM981, I believe. So it's a very fast OEM drive. 3,500 megabyte per second uh, reads, 3,000 uh, 3, megabyte per second uh, sequential writes. The battery life is an issue, uh, obviously. With this much power, even though it's a big laptop with a 90 watt hour, 90 watt hour battery in it, it's, you know, it's not going to have those crazy long running times. So we did two tests where we looked at office, uh, the office test, which is part of PC Mark 10, and that is a running loop of productivity-based things like opening up a spreadsheet and editing it, uh, word processing, presentations, uh, video playback, uh, web browsing, um, video conferencing. And, and we kind of view that as sort of a light workload. It's not truly light. It's not just like looking at a web page all day, but it's a realistic lighter workload. And we got 322 minutes there. And then the- I think the I could replace some of my coworkers with that benchmark. Oh, oh right. Yeah. <laughs> uh, perhaps like, you could script it to be productive there, but- uh, No, they're not productive. That's the point. Well, that's what I mean. Like you could you could script this laptop to take over for your coworker um, and and get six hours of work out of him. But uh, the uh, gaming benchmark, or I'm sorry, the gaming battery life test, we view that as our load. So that's the the PC Mark gaming test where it's loading up the CPU and the GPU. It's hitting it pretty hard, and we got only about 112 minutes there. So just under you know two hours under load, and that's with screen calibrated to 200 nits uh, brightness, which we think is is pretty. Pretty acceptable brightness there. Uh, the Wi-Fi is is okay. It's not the best Wi-Fi six performance we've seen, but you're approaching a gigabit per second with the Wi-Fi six and a Nighthawk AC router. No, I'm sorry, AX router. So overall, pretty a pretty uh, good selection of performance. There were two primary issues that we had. Uh, the first is that it comes configured in order to get the maximum performance out of that RTX five thousand. It's configured to use that exclusively out of the box. And in order to switch to the Intel CPU's integrated graphics, you've got to go into the BIOS and you've got to reboot the computer, go into the BIOS and switch it. But when we did that, it, it, it works, it'll reboot and everything, but you can't change the screen brightness. Like it, it seems to like make a disconnect between 
the display's brightness controls when it's passing through the integrated graphics. So we couldn't even test that for our battery life test because we we couldn't, it, it set it to maximum brightness and we couldn't change it. So there was no way to get a consistent test there. So it's just something to keep in mind there. You can access the iGPU, but it's not super convenient and there's some quirks about it. And then a, a specific issue we had too was that there was severe coil whine on that RTX Quadro 5000. Uh, anytime the usage approached, you know, heavy 100% load, that thing took off and was and uh, and easily noticeable above the fan noise, above the room noise. That's not an indictment of the whole product line. As we know, coil wine can can vary based on on product runs. It can vary sample to sample. But I saw a couple other people uh, on like Reddit threads who owned this laptop also complaining about it with theirs. So keep in mind, if you do go to pick this one up, check for that right away so that you can return it if it's gonna be a problem for you. But overall, uh, just very impressive. It's expensive, it's super powerful, it's heavy, it's big, it's imposing, but it's it's the kind of flexibility and upgradability and power that you just, it's, it's getting harder to find. Very few manufacturers still put out systems like this using the latest components. Like you can go find like a mobile workstation, but it might not have Thunderbolt, it might not have Wi-Fi AX, you know, having all of those latest technologies in a system like this is, uh, is is pretty cool if you need that kind of power. So that's the Lenovo ThinkPad P53 uh, as reviewed about $4,300. And uh, you can check that out over there. We'll have links to the Lenovo configurator and have fun with that too. Cause there's like 1600 different configurations. Cause you can tweak all these different things. You've got Xeon processor choices, ECC memory choices, uh, different graphics cards options, uh, different storage configurations. You know, I, of, I fell asleep there, but how did the uh, keyboard feel? It feels it feels like a uh, ThinkPad keyboard. It's pretty. It's good. Good like travel. A, like a modern uh, ThinkPad keyboard or an old school ThinkPad keyboard, because that's a pretty thick chassis. They could put well, a lot of key travel on there. It, it it's got very good travel, and and I haven't. So the modern ThinkPads I've used, like the T four ninety five, which is that Ryzen mobile system, that it's not nearly as bad as like the Dell but it's not as good as the old ThinkPads. This felt better. This yeah. feels like a, a classic ThinkPad. Good. Good. All right. Uh, and uh, just a final review here. We've got uh, a new reviewer. This is from Paul uh, Grahowski. Is that, am I pronouncing that correct? Paul, I apologize if I'm not, but uh, Paul, uh, who's a longtime reader and uh, friend of the site, and he went out and... Uh, bought a $2,500 Asus HDR gaming ultra wide monitor and was kind enough to give us a review of his experience uh, yes. with that display. So uh, I asked him, is... by the way, I asked him for a phonetic spelling and just, he sit back, grow house key. I'm like, yeah, that's okay. easy. Grow house yeah. key. Got it. So, so this is yeah. specifically the PG 35 VQ or I guess ROG Swift PG 35 VQ. And yeah, uh, Sebastian, an absolute you absolute top of the line gaming yeah. monitor right now. The, you can like just that first image uh, has kind of like the brag sheet built in. It's it's impressive. This is a 35 inch ultra wide. It's you can overclock it to 200 hertz. It's got 512 zone local dimming, like full array local dimming. It's display HDR 1000 certified. So it has 1,000 nits peak brightness. G-Sync Ultimate. It's just, 
this is a monster of a monitor and it's obviously at $2,500, this is not for the faint of heart. You've got to have some disposable income to buy one of these things. It's the kind of stuff we see at trade shows and Asus always has in incredible stuff. And we saw at CES, like a pro art display that had a thousand zone backlight, but to do 512 zones and ultra wide gaming monitor like this is just nuts. And it, you have to see it in person really to appreciate the kind of contrast you get from this. It's almost to that OLED level when you have that many zones. But it, he goes through, like Paul in the review, he goes through the whole process, kind of like what you see, like when you unbox it, all the accessories that it comes with. And of course, I, I love, by the way, the uh, beer for scale with that first front-facing photo of it. If you go to the site, check it out. Took some nice pictures. Like, I, I'm impressed with Paul's first effort here. I was I, I threatened uh, massive rewrites, and I was going to proofread the thing and started reading the review. Like, this is basically ready to publish, Paul. I mean, I don't know why I'm proofreading this, but um, he goes through, uh, you know, all the OSD features and stuff. Um, but most importantly, just kind of the eyeball test for him. He took pictures of just what he was seeing. Talks about black levels, which were very good. Uh, gray and white background, so you can see the uniformity. And where this falls down is with any VA type panel is off angle viewing. Like good contrast ratio when you're looking straight at it. But if you go off angle severely, you're going to lose color saturation contrast. But, you know, this is an ultra wide monitor that you're kind of, it sort of envelops you on the desk. So I think. At, with this size, and I don't think you really understand. I remember um, it was earlier this summer on This Week in Computer Hardware with Patrick Norton. Patrick had this, I think it was a 34-inch Dell ultrawide monitor on his desk. He had a picture of it. It extended beyond the edges of his desk. Like this thing I'm sitting at right here, it would be like right at the edges. And then with, what is the radius on this? It's a pretty pronounced curve it's an 1800r so if if it's right in front of you on the desk this is going to kind of surround you so it's just the the gaming experience with this is pretty outstanding of course you need quite a bit of gpu horsepower to drive this if you're going 3440 by 1440 at 200 hertz which it depends on your configuration, color depth, all that stuff, if, if you can actually pull that off. He ended up running his at 144, 10-bit color. He could have done 8-bit color, 180 hertz, and he said, no, I want the higher bit rate color. So he made that decision, but even 144 is pretty outstanding for this. And as you'd expect, I mean, if, if you're paying $2,500 for a monitor, you want it to have everything. And I feel like this covers pretty much all the bases, bases, and he, he did see some uh, haloing. If you and actually the TV I'm using as a display monitor here, I have a one of those 2010 full array local dimming TVs that I hang on to. And any slightly off access access viewing with this, you do see some of that that haloing effect that you get when the panel itself cannot adequately mask. Uh, the backlight from sort of bleeding into the pixels around the image that's actually being actively lit. So even though there's 512 zones, you're going to have some like 
it's going to overshoot. You you have either it's going to inadequately light a section of the screen, or it's going to uh, light it a little bit too well so that like adjacent pixels have some backlight bleed, basically. But it's not too bad. I mean, if if this was a thousand zones, I don't think you'd really be seeing that. But he was very impressed with it. He said, uh, if you can stomach the $2,500 price tag and get past the haloing effect in dark scenes, you will not be disappointed with, this mo- what, with what this monitor has to offer. And I think that haloing is one of those areas where having the deeper curve like that could help because it's it's really just off-axis. So if if you find the, the, the sweet spot in front of this monitor, I think it could be mitigated significantly. But give it the gold award. He said it gets so bright, you're going to need sunglasses. Just a little frightening. Uh, don't play this in a dark room without protective eyewear. That's what I'm but, getting from this. But that's the whole point of HDR. If you don't scorch you know, your retinas, then why are we even bothering? To me, HDR is about the expanded color. No, you're wrong. And I love the contrast of something like OLED. I have an OLED TV. I bought it three years ago. And recently paid it off. Like this is one of those insane purchases I made just because I had like it was a 36 months same as cash financing. I'm like, all right, I'll get an OLED TV. And you know, it's used to watch YouTube videos and my wife streams on it. And it's I don't think it ever even sees 4K content, honestly. Mm-hmm. But hey. It goes well, up to like six hundred nits, and that's way too freaking bright in a dark room already. A thousand is just crazy. And it, yeah. it doesn't it, hurt. You're not doing it right. I know. But he, he did point out that one of the advantages of something this bright is that you pretty much don't have to worry about using it in a bright room. You don't have to worry about glare because it's producing so much of its own lighting that he said it was the first monitor he's had where he just didn't have any glare issues at all. If you, if you have $2,500 to spend, this appears to be an excellent choice yep. look, yes like, so stand... so many of us have twenty five hundred dollars yes. to spend but, but say you were pricing out you with that case behind you you're going to need something that bright yeah if you're pricing out a, a, a top end multi-monitor setup i i'm liking these these three foot wide monitor options because it's 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 like the old days of putting like 320 inch monitors side by side almost i mean obviously you get more surface area there but it absolutely replaces a dual monitor setup if you can afford something like this. So mm. if you're thinking about like two ROG Swifts back in the day, that would have been a lot more than $2,500. True. Yep. All right, well, check that out. We have got the full review there. That's the Swift PG35VQ. And as Sebastian said, 2500 bucks. All right, let's jump into the picks of the week because uh, Josh is yawning and he's getting tired and I think we're all a little bit tired. You're probably out there in the audience uh, just fed up with us by this point. So let's yeah, get the like, picks why the, of why the, the week. Why the hell is this still going on? <laughs> all right. So I'll, I'll go first. Uh, my pick is something cool I found uh, a couple weeks ago. Uh, it's been around for a while. I just uh, just found it. And it's uh, it's called Radio. Radio with five O's dot com. And uh, it is, it's a neat little service that lets you pick a geographic region and then uh, how do I get rid of this okay they want me to go through the tutorial again there we go so you pick a region 
And then you pick a, a, a timeline. Um, so we'll say Russia in the 1950s. So that would be Soviet era. And it will start, um, there we go. It will start playing uh, music that would have been heard on the radio in that country at that time. And it's just neat to kind of click around and listen to, you know, what were the Canadians listening to in the 40s? Uh, what were the... Hockey. Uh, well, beyond hockey. Um, <laughs> Is it, wait, there's something other than hockey? Okay. You know, what was China listening to in the 80s? Uh, uh, Mongolia. And even, you know, if, you know, in the U.S. here where we're based, uh, if you click on that, you can see, oh, it's, it's a good way to get some music. They're missing some of the more popular uh, stuff of recent years, obviously. But it's a nice little time capsule kind of thing to... Uh, to check out uh, so it's, it's fun and uh, i just kind of i turned it on after i found it and ended up just listening to a bunch of different stuff i'd never heard before for a few hours so that's radio.com radio with five o's at the end all right and then let's see who's next here we've got uh jeremy you're next what have you got for us google added a nifty little feature to everyone's favorite uh, program google earth you are now able to create projects and save them. So if you want to, you know, show off some interesting stuff, because that's one of the things about Google Earth is like there are a million and one bloody overlays that you can do and time uh, lapsing changes of stuff. But you, you can totally like just sort of save a, a project if you're going to class and want to show off something, if you want to show off your neighborhood. If you want to save, you know, your favorite places in the world to visit, take a look at somewhere before you go to a vacation. It's just a, a fun little addition to what is already a lot of fun. So I saw that come out and I thought, you know what, that's pretty damn neat. So it's like those uh, flyovers that Apple does for its mass, but it's you can create your own. Yeah. Nice. And assumedly share you know, the ones that you've made with other people as well. I can also see tourist uh, destinations doing this and putting it together. It's like, oh, you want to see what, you know, the virtual tour of the Grand Canyon is going to look like from the second you get off the plane. Here you go. Nice. And that is that that's just part of the normal Google Google Earth yeah. interface on the web? It is. Cool. All right, we'll check that out. We'll have a link in the show notes to, uh, to that. All right, Josh, what have you got for us? Hey, so probably you've done this in the past. <clears throat> but this is still a great board. It's the uh, ASRock X470 Tai Chi. And, you know, I'm actually looking at this for work. We're, we're looking to do a, uh, a free NAS system. This has got eight SATA ports on the board, plus NVMe stuff. So for not a whole lot of outlay, if you're looking at a home-built storage solution, as well as, you know, just a reasonable high-end desktop solution, this is a great board. Uh, they've kept up with the, the BIOS updates. Again, now we're looking at, uh, at FreeNAS on this. So you got eight drives. You got eight terabyte drives for not a whole lot of money. And you start applying ZFS stuff to it. And then you've got, you know, two NVMe uh, SSDs. 
action is caches. It's it's just really flexible, really fast, and you can get a what a sixteen hundred uh, Ryzen sixteen hundred for a hundred bucks now. Yeah, pretty cool. It's a six core, pretty fast processor. Memory is dirt cheap. You can get thirty two gigs for under a hundred bucks. And so when you're looking at uh, home built storage solutions, this is a really, really nice and cost effective unit if you're going to do that. So nice. Yeah. Yep. The uh, ASRock X470 Tai Chi. It looks like the list price is $209.99, but Amazon, as of right now, has it for $190. Uh, Sebastian, did you have anything? I did not. Okay. Well, Sorry. that's the. Uh, that's the show for this week. Uh, thanks for joining us. As we said, we do these live generally Wednesdays at 10 p.m. Eastern. And uh, you can join us at pcpro.com slash live. Uh, if you want to know when we go live, head to pcpro.com slash subscribe, where you can join our mailing list. We use it only to let you know when we go live, when I remember, or when Mirror PPC in our Discord chat uh, gets on the uh, direct message and yells at me to get it done. So uh, that way you can you can never miss the live show. Or, of course, you're more than welcome to join us uh, after the fact on demand, pcpro.com slash podcast. Thanks so much for joining us. We hope everyone has a great week. We'll see you next time.